Welcome to the third episode of the Archive Guys. I'm Matt Patterson, and these are my co-hosts, Kelsey Milbury and E.W. Ferranti. And we have a special guest today, director Noah Mucci. Woo! Oh. Big round of applause. And Emoji applause graphics. Emoji applause graphics. Wait, where are those? <laughs> Kelsey is the senior vice intern and in charge of making sure that Dan and I stick to the schedule because this podcast, unlike the previous two podcasts, is going to be, we're going to make this one a tight 11 minutes. Have fun nice. with that. Right. 11 minutes is good. Just enough time to talk about Lunamancer. So let's do it. Is that how you say the name? Oh, very good, Kelsey. Lunamancer. Yes, I did. I did look up the title since you did not tell me. <laughs> The title I found it on your LinkedIn. Is that not in that wasn't in the text that you were sent? So no. wait, I just want to be clear on this. So Matt just ah. said we're going to be talking to Noah Mucci, and then you had to do the rest on your own. Yeah, it was it was, and Noah, who directed the movie I produced, is coming to speak to us. And I said, well, I mean, that's, that's nice. all true. The movie you produced—that's enough info about the movie for me yeah. to talk about it on this. Podcast. <laughs> So we're very excited to have in studio with us Noah Mucci, the director of the forthcoming, uh, I would call it neo-realist dark fantasy motion picture, Lunamancer. Luna, welcome. Tell us about Lunamancer. So uh, Lunamancer was a, a film that uh, I shot a couple years ago that was very much inspired by time that I spent in upstate New York. Uh, it was inspired by a dream that I had about fighting supernatural forces with crowbars. Uh, it's uh, currently in the, the festival circuit, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we have a we have a trailer for it. You either 
either embrace who you are or you fight it. Everybody's something. I like that the protagonist is Wolverine with crowbars. Yeah. First time I watched it, we, we got to that establishing shot and I just turned it on and was like, wait, is this Troy? It's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you, captured, you captured upstate New York perfectly. It's perfect. Yeah, there's a window of time where I feel like uh, upstate New York is at its peak upstate New Yorkness, and we were lucky to shoot there. It's like that. It's like that window of time right after the leaves have fallen, but before it starts snowing, and it's just yeah. like it looks Where how it's it feels. Just, it's just and, gray, and, and before the gentrifiers yeah. move in. Mm -hmm. Oh wait, that's not seasonal. Well, <laughs> when, uh, interestingly, like a year or two after principal photography, I guess it was like two years. HBO went up there and dressed Troy uh, to be uh, 1880 New York City. It's the uh, the guy who did uh, Downton Abbey, his his new oh, show. Oh, the Gilded Age. Yeah, the Gilded, the Gilded Age. Age yeah. so Which is what HBO. I wanted to do for Lunamancer, but I couldn't afford it. So. Yeah. Oh, of <laughs> but course. We were talking uh, to the uh, guy who helped Noah secure locations on the ground, and Patrick he, Harris. HBO like has discovered Troy as well and but they put uh, dirt on all the main roads to like you know make it look like the 19th century I of course they did instead of doing that Noah found the 150 year old buildings that had collapsed upon themselves and made that the um like the netherworld I guess weird fast is in Eau Claire uh, Wisconsin. It's going to be on, I believe, March 6th, which is a Sunday. We're, we're closing the festival. Oh, and, and March in Wisconsin is when it's really, really warm and balmy. <laughs> Noah has done something which I think might be of interest to our viewers, uh, which is that Noah uh, recently, uh, and this is pandemic recently, so within right. the past two years, uh, rewatched all of the James Bond movies in reverse chronological order. Right. Noah had, you had never really seen many or any James Bond movies? I'd seen Goldeneye at like uh, summer camp on movie night or something, but like there was, I, I had no formal James Bond experience prior now, to this. Kelsey, how many James Bond movies have you seen? This was just about to say, now when we're talking James Bond, are we talking Daniel Craig, James Bond? Are we talking all of James Bond? Any, oh. any, any Bond, all Bond, even, okay. all Bond, even alternate Connery Bond. Okay, okay, okay. So as this is as much as I know about James Bond. Um, sometimes I get who played him confused with Batman. Um, so I, I don't Like remember. he just never puts on the Batman suit. He's just doing yeah. like the- He just like, sometimes he's yeah. Batman and sometimes he's James Bond. I don't okay. know. So Noah, you experienced James Bond, but Benjamin Button style. Yeah, basically. Um, you watched the franchise grow younger. 
as I you grew older. Enjoyed Skyfall so much. It was like the first real Bond film I'd ever seen. Is that where uh, you started? Like, Did you start with Skyfall? Yeah, Skyfall had just came out, and okay. I watched it. Uh, and I remember thinking that was awesome. Now what? Uh, and so I just started working my way backwards through the Craig films and then got to Casino Royale, loved it and was like, cool, now what? And just kept that train going. Um, it, it, was it was really interesting to see like the de-evolution of the, uh, uh, the character back to the, the version of the actor that got them the role. I mean, I think the most jarring moment was going from like uh, peak Pierce Brosnan to like Roger Moore's final film. It's like going like, like from the-, the uh, Dude, you've uh, just uh, done uh, what all was... the critics do. You skipped the two Dalton films. Poor yeah. Timothy Dalton. Oh. You went, oh. Dalton is I in did, between Moore and Brosnan. Who, Everyone forgets poor Timothy. Timothy really like, but I didn't skip the Dalton films. I oh, I'm sure really you, I'm sure you the watched Dalton them. And, and, them. And I, so I they, think we should be referring to him as Doom Patrol's Timothy Dalton. Oh, I have I, no idea I what prefer, that means, but the, the Dalton films. Prince uh, Baron. Prince the, this, guy played, uh, was, this guy played James Bond. Yeah, he Timothy did. Dalton. Yeah. What is, what he, is, is he in so that much I'm more a uh, Rocketeer and Hot Fuzz are the two roles that I feel like most people know him from, but uh, he yeah. just has so Flash much Gordon, more of, 1980. of a, a Bond villain than he does of a James Bond that seeing yes. the, the his films, seeing the film franchise in reverse and then seeing Dalton, like who I'm so much more accustomed to seeing play like that, like must, like mustache twirling villain was just like an extra layer of flippery. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was a fan of him. I, I, yeah, he, re he was between the, the, the more and the, uh, the, uh, yeah. And the, the interesting is the Dalton he? films were an attempt to do the Craig thing first. It's like, it's like the, 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 the more films got, uh, campier and campier, but, but even within the supposed super campy period, there's some good films in there and, you know, Roger Moore doesn't get enough credit because there was a reason they wanted him for Bond originally, but he couldn't do it because of the saint. Uh, and then they were like, okay, we need to get serious and grim and gritty. And then we got the two Dalton films. And then they're like, oh, let's get the charming guy. And then Pierce Brosnan at first, Goldeneye was semi-neo-brutal, semi-camp, but then by Die Another Day, we're like in full-on invisible car mode. So then when Casino Royale comes out, it's like a massive reset. But you and went the other way. That's how you know a film's but, great is there's an invisible car. Yeah. <laughs> but when Kelsey kind of mixes up Batman and James Bond, that's actually not far off the genre development path because, you know, was Roger Moore the Adam West, like the Batman 66? And then they he became attempted... it. I don't, he didn't start right. off that way. But yeah. I think it's yeah. like... Well, but, but it, Live and Let Die of... began as a Connery script, and you can yeah. tell. And, and then, and then very more, Moore's flourishes increase very quickly. You know, but but then uh, and then they tried to course correct, which is like a Danny Elfman nineteen eighty nine Batman kind of thing. You know, like the, it has some of the same parallels, so, but it is longer running, and it's interesting. Noah's approach is interesting 
because I know other people who, and especially when the Blu-ray set came out, they're like, I'm going to watch all the Bonds, you know, as presented on this Blu-ray in order from Dr. No onwards. Noah's Which Benjamin is what Buttons. I'm doing now. I'm, I'm actually mid process of watching all of the Bond films chronologically now. And uh, it's, it's not as good. Um, but uh, okay. yeah. So you'd recommend um, definitely going backwards. I also yeah, want to yeah, point 100%. out just, I mean, just now. But to be fair, oh. I, I, I might make that recommendation for like any film franchise, like, you know. Um, okay. But there, there's a, a deconstructionist like like aspect to that that I think like as oh, a like, you know, a, a you know, I think we can yeah, I think we can do a whole spin-off podcast, which is just Marvel backwards. Marvel backwards, sure. Marvel, Marvel backwards. backwards. Any franchise backwards. Doctor Who backwards. Doctor Who backwards. Doctor yeah. Who backwards, yes. I mean these stories right are now. too fast i can't wait for them to slow down oh can we have the three hour version yeah i got sean connery confused with pierce brosnan i just want to say that i thought pierce brosnan's name was well, sean connery pierce would enjoy so, that confusion uh, yeah um yeah sean connery though like he the, he i didn't have a sense of him de-aging though like he seemed pretty consistently that like the same age like throughout the majority of the films that i remember him next we're going to be talking about the 1974 tv film killdozer and killdozer is one of those movies and i basically ideas that has taken on a life of its own and it goes back as early as 1945 and uh, even leading to today, when people are now releasing documentaries with the name referring to an incident that happened in the early 2000s when a guy took a bulldozer, built it into a tank, and went on a rampage. June uh, 2004. Yeah, 2004. Okay. Right. right? That, and it has existed in many formats from uh, short story, Novella. comic book. No novella, right? Yes, sorry. Novella to comic book to TV movie to now comes the Nerdjack. Yes, Killdozer. Yes, published in 1944. Astounding was written by Theodore Sturgeon. Theodore Sturgeon is unfortunately uh, not as well known now as he was back in the day. In the 50s, he was one of the most anthologized short story writers. Uh, I'm a huge Theodore Sturgeon fan. If you like Kurt Vonnegut, Kilgore Trout is based on Theodore Sturgeon. Among Theodore Sturgeon's contributions to the genre is uh, an emphasis on loneliness and how to cure it, uh, a sense of gender fluidity, and writing about homosexuality well before the genre was comfortable with it, except for maybe Phil Farmer. Uh, he wrote two of the very best episodes of the original Star Trek, as well as credited with coming up with the Prime Directive. Uh, and he wrote a novel called More Than Human, which was published in, well, I think uh, Baby is Three, which is the central novella, and then they he turned into a book with two other novellas. I think came out in 53 or 54 and there is no doubt in my mind that more than human 
through the lens of Jack Kirby is where X-Men comes from. Because Jack Kirby was a huge, huge science fiction fan. He definitely read Sturgeon. And you can easily see, 10 years later, seeds that were planted by Theodore Sturgeon's story about the next evolution of humanity involving a team of misfit mutants with superpowers learning to act as a group, percolating and eventually becoming what was originally called the mutants and then became the X-Men. This is one that, uh, a name that more people should know because of his incredible influences that are still playing out in pop culture. I know, and he's still, he's one of the most literary of the science fiction writers. I mean, he and Bradbury are both meant to be read out loud. Uh, They are together. And Theodore Sturgeon wrote some of the best stories about, I know what you would call it, alien love, dark fantasy love, alternate love, Trans the genre ever humanity. saw, including into the episode of Star Trek that he's most famous for, which is a muck time, which is about Vulcan love, Ponfar. And Dan, who was one of the main producing forces behind Star Trek? Uh, uh, the same guy who produced Killdozer. That is correct. <laughs> which is probably how it all came about. Now, there's also an interesting thing is my first experience with Killdozer was in the Marvel comic Unknown Worlds or Worlds Unknown issue six, mm. which featured a Gil Kane cover. The interior was by uh, Jerry Conway and dastardly Dick Ayers. Uh, and it's Killdozer. And the cover, of course, in no way resembles the actual story in the comic because there's a woman being menaced by a bulldozer with fangs uh, that talks, that says, how dare you defy me? Uh, but what's interesting about the comic is even though there's a, there's a blurb in the corner that says, as seen on TV, the comic came out before the TV movie. So when the comic came out, I'm like, as seen on TV, what? The comic, which is very much talked about as being an adaptation of the TV movie. There are differences between all three versions. All three are worth, worth viewing. You're not gonna be able to find the comic on Comixology, but you will be able to find it for like $4 at a comic book shop or online. And- there are uh, versions of it archived online as yes. well, where uh, you can see it. We're going to have links to all these various versions. Part of what was happening in 1974 with TV movies, especially with genre ones, is that they were getting huge numbers and they could be made. And this one was made uh, relatively inexpensively for, you know, you like know what a, the budget was? a feature film. Uh, According to the director uh, on the uh, Blu-ray, yeah, they, there's an audio interview. It was uh, around uh, $2 million, I believe it was. It do, was do we have a copy of the product? It's, can you hold it so again. people, can you either turn off your background um, or move back? Hold it to your chest. To okay. your chat, no. Stop ah, getting no. But what, no, what I've no. done in previous ones is we just it just it go, just cut Dan. Go back, yeah, Dan. I'm gonna pop a graphic yeah, right stop, now. Stop, Dan, stop Dan, leaning Dan, in, Dan. Dan, it just pops in. Just that's stop what leaning in. The yeah, but, that, there now. but that's yeah, why we yeah. put the that's graphic. That's okay. Just stop Dan, leaning Dan, in. Dan, Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm gonna flash my little thingy that says everybody need to shut up. Is everyone good? I didn't have to. Okay. Now we're gonna continue. Um. 
I loved it. Uh, I uh, uh, I watched I watched Killdozer. Um, I, I did like just it's the type of movie that I feel like uh, there's a there's a phase that I remember going through where I was just really into construction vehicles. Like like right around like five or six years, I feel like uh, boys kind of go through that uh, um, where it's just like you don't really know what they are, but they're just awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I was, went through that phase too, but I watched Bob the Builder. <laughs> I, I, <yeah. laughs> what if Bob the Builder went cuckoo bananas and started running people over? So, That's yeah. essentially what the Bulldozer's right. so, plot is. The original story, which you can find and read, and you should, uh, it takes place during World War II. Uh, and they are uh, banking an airstrip for the Pacific invasion. In real life, at one period during the war, uh, Sturgeon was a merchant marine, and he also had a gig on Puerto Rico running a bulldozer. So there's some there's some rooted autobiographical stuff in there. In the comic book, there's an Aztec temple, and in the TV movie, there's a meteor. Yeah, and it's vaguely reminiscent of Tremors, like the yeah. setting. And, 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 and Maxwell Overdrive and the thing. It's a, yeah. It was very maximum overdrive for sure. Okay, like okay. I, I love that it was hunting them. But I liked that it hunted it, them with about the level of ferociousness as like a walker from The Walking Dead, like a singular oh, totally, one. Yeah. And you're like, oh, um, they're totally going to get away. And they just don't. The, and it doesn't need fuel. It like runs on the fumes of its own rage. Um, yeah. the, like, uh, like Dan. The yeah, like Dan. Uh, the th the only thing that I really felt like it needed that would have taken it to like a whole nother level for me is if they just they figured out a way to give it eyebrows. Like oh, it, like they they gave yeah. it like these like little headlight eyeballs that I felt like if there was just like some type of no, this is exactly on the comic. You can find Gil Kane's original oh, sketch for eyebrows? the cover, and then you see the cover they published. It literally. John Romita went in and put eyebrows on it. Wait, did any of you That's guys you know have that mad. school bus who showed up with the eyebrows and whatnot to teach you like school safety? None of you guys? They should That's change the cast. I'm going to flash a photo right here. This should be yeah, the bulldozer. Yes, yes. The right, magic school right bus? Here. They, no, there's this school bus they take to schools and they, they teach kids about school safety. <laughs> what? You guys never had to see we, a school bus. We, we grew up in a, like, here's school safety. Get out. I didn't if, go to school. Don't yeah. buy drugs from the clown in the van. That was our school safety lecture. <laughs> well, this, I think, one, this movie is so beautifully TV in the 1970s. I think right when you meet that rock, the first thing I yeah. thought was this dude saw one episode of Land of the Lost, heard that slee stack noise, and then was like, oh, I can make, use that. Theodore <laughs> Sturgeon wrote an episode yeah. of Land of the Lost. They made Land of the Lost. Oh, did, you're, did he? You're right. Did he? Yes. Yeah. I, it, it, that's, that's what it is. So, so I saw he knew Land what of he the was Lost doing. growing up. Like yeah. that, that was when I watched very heavily growing up. The director, Jerry London, had also done stuff like that, but also The Brady Bunch uh, okay. and other comedies. So mm -hmm. he had been working kind of in that zone that you're talking about. And, and again, you can see that in this film. It's it's very well, interesting. It's just the, the intro of the film alone, right? I mean, the film starts well, it's like with, well, there's the, the meteor landing. Space. And then when we get to the present day, our intro to the cast is 
Clint Walker driving a Jeep. Yes. Waving yes. at everyone at work. There's six people on an island and it's like he just showed up. So the other thing that I really loved was just the blue filter uh, as the special effects. The, <laughs> they were the like, special They effect. were like, they went. Occasionally they overexpose. Occasionally, occasionally. But that's what I love, the just flash of the blue filter and they went, that guy's dead. That guy got that guy got burned alive, and then death ooh, looks like. I mean, the best thing is when they jawsed the bulldozer. <laughs> they just went, they went full jaws on it, which came out after. So I, I guess First, you can't say that was, and, but uh, Jaws got inspiration and, from and, this movie. For sure. And Clint starred in Claws, renamed Night of the Grizzly, which is an epi- a movie based on an episode of Cheyenne and Jaws. So this Good. this just, everything's connected. Everything's yeah. related in the archives. Don't get it twisted and we know it all. I don't think, did you ever talk to Clint Walker personally? Yeah, uh, once, I, once in the studio and then at the Paley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because like we, we met, we talked to him a few times and he would call one and, of and our, I, every now and then I would get the phone and it would be like, oh, is Mike there? Yeah, because he'd be calling our boss yeah. and trying to get him to eat uh, his mushrooms that he was growing on his ranch in Grass Valley. Clint Walker was the guy you see on screen. Like he was a friendly giant uh, right up until his death. Like Super nice man. I'd like to talk to you about these things. You know, at one point, we actually, Matt, you, you, you talked to him uh, about the things. That's right, I did. Yes, and 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 he actually got a little, a little shamefaced about the drug use and the things. There was some drug use which uh, we weren't. Uh, I don't really stand behind. You That's know? right, because we yeah. interviewed him for the Warner Archive uh, podcast. When we came out with this movie, The Finks, which is uh, a cult movie through and through, where he had a, a small part, uh, uh, but that's another where, recommendation. Where he was playing Clint Walker. Yeah, he basically played Clint Walker, and that movie was largely shot in Yugoslavia uh, at the time. Unlike a, Killdozer, which was shot in Ventura. It, it was shot in uh, Santa Clarita, mostly, not right. on the beach. Uh, but again, the Blu-ray has a commentary track, which is great. But I especially love the interview uh, with the director where he talks about his background and what he brought into it. And he talks about the blue filter was the one special effect. And the other was they had a guy inside the cabinet driving. Driving, yeah. Uh, is that what was going on? Yeah, there was like a little guy driving the bulldozer the whole time. That's great. And then they so had to is that raise... why it felt it was it felt like a raised bulldozer? Like it, no, they, those they, were they that like... big. They were that big. Like that. Well, uh-huh. that's what's so great about it. The moment where the bulldozer is fighting the big shovel—that's what they call it. I don't know what uh, to call that machine. Uh, it just a, rivaled. Okay, there it is. It rivaled the level of carnage when the Spinosaurus yeah. fights the T-Rex in Jurassic that's Park. That's exactly, yeah. Right. Like, that's although, the level of fight yeah. that that is. I'm I'm Transformers. Just like, you know, Michael Bay, here are your yeah. Dinobots. Get yeah. to work. Exactly. Yeah, those were. That was, uh, that was definitely my favorite scene. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the, uh, the final fight in Aliens, too, where it's like, 
well, ah, I'm going to okay, need a power yeah. loader. Like, where it's like, <laughs> right. what is the biggest piece of machinery I can, like, tool up no, with to fight no, this and there's, thing? There is also no question that Cameron saw Killdozer, because if you've seen the beginning of Terminator and you read the Killdozer comic or the original novella, it's the same beginning, only it's the past instead of the future. That's that's correct because the novella starts with an ancient society on Earth and these wars, like this whole backstory, which yeah, I it, actually like eliminating it because you're like the characters and you don't know you don't know what's going on. And someone's running around saying a bulldozer is killing. You're going to be like that guy's crazy. Yeah, and that's what that's what makes this fun. And of course, because it was all shot on film, they did a two. This is just a two K remaster. But looks it great. looks freaking great. Uh, you can see all these details, which again, were never designed to be seen, right? This was designed for TV. This was originally viewed by something like, I think it was like 25 million. You know, I mean, just like, these are numbers that nobody gets today in television. So this, this little low budget movie, but it's now, it hasn't disappeared, but it is much uh, less in the cultural conversation and worth rediscovering. <laughs> my final statement, my final statement <laughs> is that this is a great movie. Like you could show it to your kids if you wanted to, no blood on screen. It's great when somebody dies, it's just, you know, the burial site. <laughs> Blue light burial site, it, that's yeah. it. You know, somebody passed. And, and so, interestingly enough, same thing in the comic version, the deaths are all off panel. Yeah. Exactly. So there you go. A nice kid-friendly uh, bulldozer spectacular right oh, there. Yeah. And, and speaking of kid-friendly and dozing, uh, uh, I believe that's a great segue into our yeah. stuff you oh, can't you, easily you see segue. Yeah, I you don't want to sleep on this kid special here, which <laughs> is called... Somebody give me a name because I don't remember the exact title. Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue. Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue, which you can't see, Dan. See, and but the graphic will be right here. I love that the graphics on the box are better than the graphics of the actual cartoon. So that is a VHS box because uh, although uh, Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue came out on VHS, it has not subsequently been released. Wait. In when did it come out? That's my big question, because those are the voices I really remember from all of those cartoons growing up. Like, that is the Although Simon Allen Theodore the first Theodore time someone other than Mel Blanc voiced Bugs and Daffy. So, yes, no, oh, really? Bugs was wrong, and Daffy was wrong, I could tell. Yeah, because Mel had just died. So, anyway. So when this, and, uh, this was first aired simultaneously on four networks uh, in 1990, and then McDonald's distributed this VHS afterwards. This was a, uh, made by Disney Buena Vista and distributed uh, and Mc McDonald's because they were a big sponsor. Uh, they distributed it for free and any video store could get a copy for free and everything was free. This was all a giant volunteer project, but because it has so many different IPs from so many different studios, even today with all the buying and selling of the IPs, it still would be impossible 
to uh, recreate the circumstances to allow this to be re-released. So we only have legal version. The only legal way to see it is that through a VHS, much like this one, uh, I guess that's it really. And there are illegal versions on YouTube. I watched, I watched one of those illegal versions and let me tell you, the sound cuts off randomly. At least it did for me. It's, there's a wonderful VHS recreation on YouTube where you see the play button being hit. You see mm, yeah. a very um, earnest Ronald McDonald House ad. And then at the time, President uh, George H.W. Bush, his, his wife, Barbara, and, and his Doug dog, Millie. Doug Millie, who at the time, although it wasn't diagnosed until I think a year or two later, all were suffering from lupus. That's right. Oh. That's a weird fact. Uh, and they did not give it to each other. So to be clear, in 1990, if something was simulcast on four networks, you were going outside or you were watching this. Yeah. And so as a child, what you got to see was a special uh, in which uh, a young sister is fighting for the soul of her older brother who has gotten involved with the devil weed and as the devil mm -hmm. weed inevitably does has led to him stealing uh his little sister's piggy bank in order to fuel his drug pro program now the thing is the Some program uh, <laughs> yes he's got drug, a full program because he's moving he's moving on to alcohol and oh yes yeah and, and crack crack and crack and does crack. he get to crack i think he's, he's, he's twice got, it's suggested twice. it's no they, it's show, they show crack and well no they show it but he never does it he right. just he doesn't like, do it they keep begging him because they the kids who watch this special saw more upfront drug use in this special than they had ever seen on TV before. That's true. And the the weird communi the communication that I feel like they just totally didn't uh, see in making this is that it really reads like by doing drugs, you will get to interact with the cartoon shows. Yes, no. Like, like, oh man, I get stoned and Michelangelo's gonna show up? Yes. <laughs> When the problem manifests itself and the cartoon all-stars start showing up to the rescue, they each sort of enter the story through their own uh, supranormal, to use Noah words, means of it. Like the Smurfs come out of a comic book. Alf comes out of a publicity photo. Somebody Alvin and the Chipmunks come out of an album, a record album. Ba Baby Muppet Kermit's a desk lamp uh, yeah. or a clock when they are confronting the older brother with his drug problem the only way to to really nip it in the bud and make him confront his demons is to send him into the dark carnival of his mind and where also he sing meets, him a song it's totally a psychedelic answer to a drug abuse problem well i think you know the message you really get from this i feel like is the clout you get from smoking weed is much less than the clout you get from having every single star cartoon character sing you a song. Uh, there's Winnie the Pooh, there's Alf, and Alf has a wonderful team up, probably my favorite Alf team up of all time. Alf with and Garfield. Garfield. Yes. Yeah, Alf who keeps threatening to eat Garfield. Yes, uh, what's that about? Somebody explain that to oh, me. Alf, that. Alf, Alf the show. people like to eat cats. Yeah. That's really? A, yeah. That was a network show. Oh my gosh! On on was it Fox? It, uh, an early, no, I think oh, no, it was no, NBC. 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 Yeah. 
It was an NBC show where cat eating was a big joke. And then that cat eating went to the ALF cartoon. And so naturally he would be threatening Garfield. Uh, I'm glad they stuck by their guns on that. Mm, dinner. Yeah. Oh my God. And then there are the uh, the main, uh, the whole cast of Smurfs, but including uh, Brainy and uh, Papa Smurf mostly. There's, uh, I said Winnie the Pooh, but there was also Tigger. There's Alvin and the Chipmunks, Bugs Bunny. There's um, Daffy. There's Slimer. There's just Michelangelo from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who in 1990 were going through a whole ownership change. So they are not on the box nor mentioned on the box, but he has a big heart. Oh, There's, uh, it's Muppet Baby's version of Kermit and Miss Piggy and uh, Huey, Dewey and Louie. So it, it, it had every major cartoon studio, but then they needed to come up with a villain. And so they created one, which was a character called Smoke. And Smoke is the, you know, the bad uh, devil on your shoulder. He's voiced by uh, George C. Scott, isn't he? Yes. Honestly, he's one of the number one villains I've seen, though. The way that he, he's just constantly moving throughout this series. Yeah. He's great. He's they amazing. created a fully scary villain. That was a Ralph Bochke cartoon. You know, Smoke is the bad, is the devil uh, on your shoulder. Yeah. And then playing the angel on the shoulder is Bugs. Bugs! And if <laughs> Bugs is the angel on your shoulder, you're in trouble. Because that dude's a straight up anarchist troublemaker. But now when you watch it, the attitude towards, especially marijuana, as the uh, in it is now, it's now like largely okay within society. It's not considered a big deal. So, so what you're it's saying is so out of step. We should organize a group watch party, and instead of a drinking party, it will be a smoking party. So this isn't the first time I've seen this. Uh, <laughs> that was a party that I was uh, present for, hosted by our good friend Elliot Rutstein. Did he bring out crack? Yes. Every time you talk about marijuana, immediately you must also then progress to crack. Yeah. That is that is the next step. It's yes, logical. obviously. Yes, and you steal, you steal things. Steal. You immediately, once you start using marijuana, you just start stealing and you, um, you, you act really weird and yeah. you're not yourself and you steal alcohol and you, yeah, it's just like every drug. And then you get a Disney song from my favorite era of Disney song, Mencken and Ashman were the team who successfully rebooted the Disney musical, like their songs. Uh, from Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Rem I didn't remember that they did the song in it, and the song is actually good. The song's good. This is the song is catchy. Yes, a yep. good cartoon. It is it well is. written. It has a good beginning and a middle and an end. And then when you but when you add the oddness of the topic and the intro by the President of the United States, and the it becomes a must watch. That's a must watch. Because yeah, where where's the cartoon all star telling kids to get vaccinated? I mean, what's <laughs> happened? We need one. Where is it? Cartoon vaxxers to the rescue. Um, normally, this is where we would read viewer letters, but we have no letters because no one's written. Well, I was informed of that, and so I reached out to the uh, the the communities that uh, uh, some friends and family I know uh, traverse. So this question is, 
What is it like to walk through a real film archive where 35 millimeter elements are stored, where you can see something as impossible as the actual camera negatives? Uh, and is there an aura to history around it? Um, is there a fear associated with such increasingly fragile materials uh, that it could be wiped out by a fire, by flood, careless handling, whatever? What has been your experience with this? This person has clearly seen Inglorious Bastards and is afraid. <laughs> at, at Warner Brothers. That one is nitrogen cooled. It, so when you go inside, you see the giant tanks. That's the first thing you notice. And when you come inside, it is at a consistent temperature. Uh, but the building is also old enough that it is rumored that Jack Warner had it hardened against nuclear strike. Right. It has very, the, the like doors does. into the building, although it's a studio facility. So there's, there's a facade on it that yes. makes it look very homey. When you actually are opening the door, it's a blast door. Yeah. It is, it is a very serious door. That is where Dan and I would go in the zombie apocalypse if they'd let yeah. us in. Unfortunately, the only thing to eat there is movies and videotape. So, you know, I've been in storage spaces. I've been in warehouses. I've been in labs. I've never been around a large collection of nitrate films because I'm not suicidal, although I'm curious. And I've never been to one of the salt mines, which I would love to go. The to. salt mines are, are fascinating, and I haven't been there either. Now, I've been the, to a salt it, mine, it, but not the salt mine. Zone. Right. And I would I'd say like the most sort of archivist experience I've had uh, was at a local major university that has a very large collection uh, right up there with the Library of Congresses. And I've I've been walked through their their reels on their shelves. And although uh, there is the excitement of seeing the cans and the labels and the ears. Mostly there's a sense of fear because they're stacked very high and these are big metal things Eddie. and you're in LA and I'm thinking, boy, I'd hate to be here when the big one hits. Dan and I did not work inside those facilities. That is like a whole separate operation, but that is where elements would be pulled from. That's where different prints would come through and be shipped. I was able to go to a Warner Brothers facility, which is um, not so conveniently located next to the Burbank Fireman School, and where they would do simulated fires right next to that building. And I asked them, I was like, does this ever make you nervous? And they're like, <laughs> it made me nervous. But in there, they had a wonderful vinegar vault uh, which is where they keep safety film, which is newer than like nitrate film, but the- It's safety because it doesn't blow it up. It doesn't blow up. However, there is a, a vinegar syndrome is a more, it's a, it can, I guess the best way to say it is a contagious contaminant that can get into libraries and cause the film to slide off the emulsion. And it gives off a smell that is like the worst salad you can possibly imagine a death salad that eventually disintegrates the film. And they showed me, uh, you know, cause they try to preserve this because sometimes you can under certain conditions unspool the film and maybe scan it just like once and then it has to be disposed. So they don't right. know, 
you know, or they think that maybe there'll be a better way to do it in the future. Like they, they keep these things because they're important, but they've showed me cans that they open up and it's dust, right? That's an extreme example of something gone wrong. Some say the film world will die in fire. Others say the film world will die in spice. <laughs> yeah. So that's anyway. Yeah. Noah, any recommendations for viewing or uh, you've seen anything you like recently? Uh, really enjoyed the Deep House. The Deep um, House. What's that? So Deep House was I've uh, I've recently been on a run of underwater films, just films that take place either in like uh, like a in a like a lab in the Mariana Trench or like a, like a diving movie. Like there was a there's a diving heist film I think uh, called The Deep that I'm pretty stoked to watch. Uh, but just sort of like th rolling through all of like the the underwater films that uh, uh, I, I've found out there. I came across one that came out uh, last year called uh, The Deep House, and it is a haunted house movie that takes place in a house at the bottom of a lake in the south of France. And it's these two YouTubing urban explorers that hear about this house that is uh, down there. And so they go out trying to like find it. There's like a guide that takes them through the woods. He warns them that it's not safe and they do it anyway, because kids. Um, and uh, they dive down into the, uh, the, the lake and once inside like this sunken house, they get trapped and it turns into a ghost story. And so the, uh, uh, the it, like all of the same rules that apply to uh, like uh, your standard ghost story are sort of retrofitted to this underwater environment that they just, uh, it's so like beautifully atmospheric in terms of how they uh, put the film together. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a decent enough story. I mean, it doesn't do anything that you haven't seen before on land, but like that added variable of it being submerged just really made it something on a technical level that like I just, I'd never experienced before. Um, it had a it had a really good ending. Like I, I liked the ending. I felt like it was a, a, a little, uh, there's a there's a thin layer of cheese that surrounded a lot of the details, but you know nothing that I don't think with the the right mindset anybody could see their way through. Um, but yeah, it stuck with me. It was it was it's a lot of fun. That's that sounds yeah. pretty cool because uh, underwater movies tend to be introduced when a new newer technologies uh, uh, oh, are hmm. you know come in because it enables the filmmakers to do things underwater right? Like literally underwater that they couldn't mm -hmm. do before. Or, and or the footage like comes what, CGI or, if, or... or if you're in camera and you're inventing the technology that lets you shoot underwater. Yeah, before it's ready. Like, yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's also um, in, because that makes it te technology, you know, kind of pushes that forward. So we've got way. Deep House, which is underwater uh, uh, haunted house. From an earlier conversation with Kelsey, there's a Deep Blue Sea, which is underwater giant monster movie with an underwater science lab, right? The deep. Mm -hmm. Even well, though it, it isn't- Sequest is what got me into Quest. this. Oh, so right, right. It wasn't well, even no, a movie. No, you, you like the Titanic. Yeah, I we'll absolutely- We'll talk about that later. Is that an underwater Quest. movie? The Titanic is the ultimate underwater haunted house. Like, yes. it's, uh, that's, that's what's always like attracted to me to sort of like that history anyway. It was just the fact that like, 
at the bottom of the sea exists this explorable uh, structure that is haunted. Like, I mean, there's and, such a tra okay, tragedy that great. occurred. That yeah. And like, everybody that goes that's down true. there that's just true. feels the, the experience that happened to it. I also was thinking of, and I always, I, I think it's called Open Water. Okay. The oh, yeah, 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 movie yeah, yeah. yeah. About yeah, yeah. the people treading because they yeah, were left was, behind. Yeah, that's a good lo-fi I love, yeah. I love yeah. that movie because it's a survival movie, but the in the desert, but the desert is the water and it's going, it, it, it's going to kill you. It's a great. And that's not the, that's not the, the same as without a paddle. Is so sell. No, no. It's, <laughs> what movie is this? Without the paddle. <laughs> no, but that's also a very good movie. I love yeah. that movie. Those are all great water movies. Well, thank you, Noah, for those uh, viewing suggestions. So if you want to send us a message of some kind, please, please write us at the at archiveguys.com or you can contact any of our social media profiles. I'm at Mr. Matt Patterson, or you can do at thearchiveguys.com or just go to archiveguys.com and there's a form where you can send us a question. All those things work. We want to answer them and not lean on our guests to ask us to answer a simple question for 45 minutes. And if you would like us to discuss your film, book, graphic novel, newspaper strip, TV show, original streaming series, or maker video, you can send those to us too, and I'll be happy to review it. Thank you for listening to the Archive Guys podcast. I'm Matt Patterson. I'm Kelsey Milburn. I'm Deep One Ferranti. And thanks to our special guest, Noah Mucci. Man, I'm Noah. <laughs> Hopefully we <laughs> think. See you guys yeah. next time. Bye.